For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers, for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover, otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Welcome everyone to episode 10 of the Higher Calling podcast. We left off in our last episode 9, talking about chapter 6, discussing Christian perfection, difference between backsliding and being reprobate, and the hope of the heavenly calling, which is the eternal reward for living a faithful life. Today we are preparing to review the seventh chapter of Hebrews, but in order to do it justice, we have to take another step back and talk about sacrifices and offerings and the roles and responsibilities of a priest. I'm Ian Dowdy. I'm David Dowdy. Before we are able to dig into it, there is just so much background and critical importance about the topic of sacrifice, offerings, the priesthood, and how that relates to the New Testament church, that we'll spend at least one podcast laying a foundation. So one thing that you will need to do at some point is read for yourself Exodus chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 10. There are a few chapters in Exodus where the temple is being prepared, and Exodus chapter 28 is dedicated to Aaron and his sons, and how they are going to perform the work of the priesthood the clothes they are going to wear, and symbols, types, and shadows. Leviticus 10 really highlights the critical difference between a clean and unclean lifestyle. We're going to break into this topic during the reign of Hezekiah that begins in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to read this story first, and then go through some highlights. That way, when we get into Hebrews 7, we'll have some vocabulary and understanding of what's going on. 2 Chronicles 29 Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites, and gathered them together into the east street, and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed, and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, Be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, 
and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Then the Levites arose, Mahath the son of Amasai, and Joel the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, and of the sons of Merari, Kish the son of Abdi, and Azariah the son of Jehalalel, and of the Gershonites, and Joah the son of Zimmah, and Eden the son of Joah, and of the sons of Elijaphan, Shimri, and Jael, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and of the sons of Heman, Jehiel, and Shimei, and of the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaiah, and Uziel. And they gathered their brethren, and sanctified themselves, and came, according to the commandment of the king, by the words of the Lord, to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the sixteenth day of the first month they made an end. Then they went in to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, and the altar of burnt offering, with all the vessels thereof, and the showbread table, with all the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified. And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then Hezekiah the king rose early, and gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bullocks, and seven rams, and seven lambs, and seven he-goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, and for the sanctuary, and for Judah. And he commanded the priests of the sons of Aaron to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bullocks, and the priests received the blood, and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, when they had killed the rams, they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. They killed also the lambs, and they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. And they brought forth the he-goats for the sin offering before the king and the congregation, and they laid their hands upon them. And the priests killed them, and they made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar, to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets, and with the instruments ordained by David king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and with Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. And the number of burnt offerings which the congregation brought was threescore and ten bullocks, and hundred rams, and two hundred lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated things were six hundred oxen and three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few, so that they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Wherefore their brethren, the Levites, did help them till the work was ended, and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priests." 
And also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings, and the drink offerings were for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order, and Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people that God had prepared the people, for the thing was done suddenly. Continuing into chapter 30, 2 Chronicles 30. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel, and his princes, and all the congregation in Jerusalem, to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time, because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king, and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it of a long time in such as it was written. So the posts went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, and according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, Turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be not like your fathers, and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as ye see. Now be ye not stiff-necked, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord, and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified for ever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again unto this land. For the Lord your God is a gracious and merciful, and will not turn his face from you, if ye return unto him. So the post passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judah the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took they away, and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they killed the Passover on the fourteenth day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed, and sanctified themselves, and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood, which they received of the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for every one that was not clean, to sanctify them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The Lord, pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. 
And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings, and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. And the whole assembly took counsel to keep other seven days, and they kept other seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah king of Judah did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep, and the princes gave to the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. And all the congregation of Judah, with the priests and the Levites, and all the congregation that came out of Israel, and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel, and that dwelt in Judah, rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the king of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. A very compelling story. And now, let's circle back and pull out critical insights that will assist in our future reviews through Hebrews, specifically focusing on sacrifices, offerings, and the role of the priesthood. For instance, filthiness in the holy place. For extra homework, you know, read the chapter of Leviticus 10, speaking specifically that there is a difference between clean and unclean, and that God doesn't have blurred lines in this area. Multiple verses there in Leviticus 10 hold that an infraction of those rules meant a punishment of death. I find this and other similar accounts describing the misuse of the temple to be very interesting in considering the parallel of our bodies as the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 makes this clear. All throughout the Old Testament, we find that when God's people move away from a sincere and devout worship of God, they don't simply fail to worship. They replace their devotion to God with devotion and worship of something else. Worship is an unavoidable instinct of man, and if we're not worshiping God, we will worship things of the world, some other religion that is not accepted by God, or even philosophies and ideas that seem secular and unrelated to religion. Like the temple of God in this reading, we will fill our temple, or our bodies, minds, and ambitions with something else if we depart from God. Jesus talked about this idea in Matthew 12, verse 43, that if a spirit is cast out of a person and that space isn't filled with something holy and good, that it will become filled with the spirit that departed, who now brings seven more with him and makes the soul that much worse. This seems to be a common situation throughout the scriptures, that like the Jews in their temple, we will fill our natural worship instincts and needs with something especially things that are unholy and corrupt, if we will not use this capacity to worship God. Chapter 29, verse 7, offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. This is excellent insight into the purpose of mankind and our role in interacting with God. Why do you think that God made Adam and Eve? Why did God walk with Adam in the cool of the evening? God enjoys the time and attention that his creation spends worshiping him. Worship means to show reverence and adoration for something, and the nature of God causes humans to worship. Our prayers and worship have been compared to incense, and the practice of burning incense in the temple is a type or example of the prayers 
of the saints. Some background. Exodus 30 and verse 1 says, And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shittim wood shalt thou make it. And then again in verse 7, And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning, when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. We know that sacrifices and offerings were generally physical things that were burned to create smoke and odors which pleased God. But even in the Old Testament, God recognized praise and sincere worship as an offering as well. A good example is Hosea 14 and verse 2, talking about the calves of our lips. David also spoke about praise and singing as offerings which were accepted by God. In the New Testament, there is also reference to this. Revelation 5 verse 8, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And then in Revelation 8 verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God, out of the angel's hand. And the next topic of interest comes out of verse 15 of Second Chronicles 29, talking about when they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves. To sanctify something is to set it apart, dedicate it for a specific purpose, Often, this involves a cleansing ritual to ensure that there is no residue left from unclean activities. Again, Leviticus chapter 10 goes into that extensively. But in terms of New Testament worship, God is still the same God, and he isn't pleased with a ritual performed by someone who is not prepared for it. And we'll go into more of this later. I I think it's the crux of this whole chapter. Moving to verse 16 out of Second Chronicles 29, um, talking about the priests going into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. The Levites took out the refuse, the trash that the priests had cleansed out of that inner part. And the Levites took it abroad into the brook Kidron. And it's an interesting note that the priests could enter into the Holy of Holies. The Levites stayed outside the door. And, you know, this is incredible respect to God and his rules. Godly fear is critical in, in our worship. Verse 21 and 24, a quick note about offerings and sacrifices. Chapter 29 and verse 21 talks about a sin offering and verse 24, a burnt offering. There were about five different offering rituals to be performed, and offerings and sacrifices were used somewhat interchangeably at this point, as a way to atone for some type of infraction. There was a free will offering as well, mentioned 17 times in the Old Testament, and perhaps is more commonly recognized in Christian worship as an act of service or gift of money above and beyond the required tithe or tenth of income. Second Chronicles 29 and verse 31 says talks about Hezekiah. 
where he answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near, and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. So that's an example in this passage of free will offerings. Because this is an introduction to Hebrews chapter 7, which discusses Jesus as our high priest, let's review the five types of Old Testament offerings. There was a burnt offering from Leviticus chapter 1 and chapter 6. This offering is to be a male um, animal from the herd, a male from the flock, or a bird. And some of the functions of the burnt offering include an expression of faith or fulfillment of vows, like it talks about in Psalms chapter 51. Um, Another function is altar consecration, Genesis 8, Judges chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 24, um, and even purification after childbirth from Leviticus chapter 12. And then there's the sin offering, which you can read about in Leviticus chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. And the sin offering is one of the sacrifices that have different requirements depending on the person involved. Um, Perhaps if you sin unintentionally, then it's to be offered uh, by that particular person. The priest, the Israel community, um, like Leviticus chapter 4, also talking about a leader or a different member of the community. The basic function of this sacrifice is to obtain forgiveness of sin and cleansing. The phrase, and he shall be forgiven, is repeated multiple times at the end of every sacrificial procedure. Um, Specifically Leviticus chapter 4, verse 25, verse 31, verse 35, and then Leviticus 5, verse 10. Then there's that guilt offering um, from Leviticus chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Just like the sin offering, the guilt offering is also offered when a person sins unintentionally, The difference is that the guilt offering is um, vertically inclined. It involves sins that directly affects man's relationship with God, while the sin offering is affecting the relationship between different people, man and man. The function of the guilt offering, just like the sin offering, is to obtain forgiveness of that trespass between the person and, and God. Then the peace offering um, found in Leviticus chapter 3 and Leviticus 7. It's also called a fellowship offering. And it's the only sacrifice where a male or female animal can be offered. Of course, the animal has to be without defect or blemish. And it has three functions. It can be a thanksgiving offering or a vow or free will offering. Or lastly, can function as an ordination offering. It symbolizes a peaceful relationship with God because sin has been atoned. And then last, there's a grain offering. And it's the only sacrificial offering that does not require an animal. It's purely offering uh, grain. Just like the peace or fellowship offering, a part of this offering can be eaten by the priest after a portion has been presented to the Lord. And the main purpose is to accompany the burnt offering as an offering of thanksgiving to God. 
What about this entire story is most compelling and speaks to our worship today? 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 10, So the posts passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, the divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judea the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by word of the Lord. We're reading about a letter that was written, inviting the tribes to come and hold the Passover. And the ones writing the letter had just finished with an amazing church service where they dedicated the temple again, cleaned it up, had burnt offerings and sin offerings and worship, praise, and were all fired up serving God together. In their passion and zeal, they wanted everyone else to be there for the next big service, which was planned to be the Passover. And this letter went out. Well, what happened? Ephraim and Manasseh and Zebulun, now, now true, they are separate tribes. But they were cousins, right? Still part of the family. And they laughed it to scorn. Then, while divers of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun, some saw the significance of this invitation. Then this letter went to Judah, and a totally different result happened. With one heart, they were to do the commandment of the king and of the princes. I mean, think of the sense of betrayal when these are Jews, mind you, religiously, part of the same family, laughing the letter to scorn. And for what a cause? Holding the Passover for the first time in many years? That's pretty shameful. Although it's happening today in many ways, our call to evangelize is still as strong as ever, but there are fewer people willing to sacrifice time and actually go to church. But the tribe of Judah had something special happening there. As a congregation, we need each other, some to stir up and get others excited about worship. We need our pastor to hold to the old paths and ancient landmarks. And as saints, we need to take that out with one heart and live it in our lives. The tribe of Judah is a great example of that recognition that God is working and doing something and we need to support and get behind it. So how did that story end up? Second Chronicles chapter 30, And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for incense took they away and cast them into the brook, Kidron. Then they killed the Passover on the fourteenth day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed, and sanctified themselves, and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. That particular result is amazing. The first Passover since Ahab destroyed the temple and caused shame to fall on the land. Right, but the effects of Ahab's decisions are seen here in this generation that wanted to get back to the old paths. Let's talk about being in a condition to worship. Second Chronicles 30 and 17 For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passover for every one that was not clean, to sanctify them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God, 
the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened Hezekiah and healed the people. Mainstream religion feels like the blood of Jesus Christ covers any type of wickedness in a believer. And furthermore, his role as an intercessor acts as a barrier between a believer and God. That's simply not a tenet that's supported by Scripture. There are many New Testament Scriptures that speak to personal responsibility to ensure that a gift, worship, or prayer can be heard by God. Well, the New Testament speaks of this very idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Of course, this topic is speaking of taking communion. It's self-explanatory, and it clearly calls for self-reflection in order to ensure that there are no matters of the conscience that need to be cleared up prior to taking communion. But that's not all. Going to Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. These are the words of Jesus Christ, speaking to the fellowship of brotherhood that is requisite to worship of God, specific to church worship, even. Then, last verse we want to bring out here, attacking even the false doctrine in Calvinism of once saved, always saved. Of course, we spoke about this in podcast 9, Hebrews 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Clearly stating that once someone becomes reprobate beyond backslidden state, that their chances of renewal of repentance is impossible. The blood of Jesus is not covering these individuals. Well, with that, we'll wrap up this podcast. It's been a pleasure as usual, and we trust that you found the discussion both challenging and encouraging. As always, thank you for listening. And if you have any comments or would like to contact us for any other reason, please visit www.csending.com or email us at biblestudy at avondalecog.org. We'd love to hear from our audience and would be happy to further any discussion or pray for a need you may be experiencing. Have a great day.